Why don't we pray together before we go any further. Father, thank you for this morning for being reminded in lots of different ways about your faithfulness. We are grateful for the promise that in trusting in Jesus, we already know the answer to what happens when we stand before you in judgment because you have declared us to be acceptable in your sight through Jesus and we experience that even now. So thank you that we can live now with boldness and certainty and peace because we know we have peace with you and that peace will last into eternity. Help us now as we want to learn from your word and as we want to find encouragement where we need it and conviction where we need it, that you might further equip us where we need it as well, that we might live lives that would please you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not sure about how the rest of you feel about this, but I'm not a big fan of hearing these words. You don't know how good you've got it. I don't like it when people tell me, you don't know how good you've got it. I grew up hearing that, no no doubt from my parents, from people who were older than I was, from peers at times. You just don't know how good you've got it. I don't like hearing that, just like you probably don't like hearing it, because it usually comes in what kind of setting? It usually comes in the setting where something in your life is not good and something in your life is something you don't like. It's a hardship of some kind or another. Um, I'm dissatisfied with something. Uh, I don't like my situation or my circumstance. Not a fan. I'll try my best not to say to you today, you just don't know how good you've got it. But I will share with you an interesting article that I read this week. The article compared average Americans, middle class average Americans living today with those who were living 100 years ago. And it was very interesting. As a matter of fact, it not only compared people who were living 100 years ago, it compared John D. Rockefeller living 100 years ago, uh, one of, if not the wealthiest American ever, okay? John D. Rockefeller 100 years ago with us, 2018, And would you like to trade places with John D. Rockefeller, you know, the billionaire? It was interesting. The observation was that when it comes to medicine, technology, conveniences, food choice abundance, transportation, time and reliability, life expectancy, and then for good measure, Wi-Fi accessibility... um, couldn't even say it. (laughs) It's revisionist history. The observation was, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. And so the person who wrote the article concludes like this, honestly, I wouldn't be remotely tempted to quit today's me so that I could be a $1 billion richer me 100 years ago. This fact means that by 100 years ago standards... I am today more than a billionaire. It means at least given my preferences, I am today materially richer than was John D. Rockefeller 100 years ago. It's fascinating. I won't tell you, you don't know how good you've got it. I won't. I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to say you don't know how good you've got it. 
Interesting article, though. What we're going to do this morning is look at 1 Peter in chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12, what Peter does is he talks to Christians who are not happy, healthy, and wealthy. They're not in the circumstances they want to be in, but he reminds them that they, spiritually speaking, don't realize just how good they've got it. Okay? He wants to remind them that they are extraordinarily blessed. Amazingly, abundantly, beyond any other time in redemptive history blessed. That they have reason to praise God even if hardships are real hardships. And that's something that we, we, we can relate to and we can be helped by, okay? Again, I like to say in our First Peter study, it's, it's never with the tone of scolding, at least that what we've seen so far. It's always with the tone and temperament of encouragement, of helping. That's why people have called this letter a discipleship letter for Christians. It's helping us how to see life the right way so that we can see that this is not heaven, this is not the new Jerusalem, but there is one coming, and that act is actually what can help um, build us up and get through uh, in the here and now and live to honor God. So that's what's happening in First Peter. That's what we'll try to see today. If you'd follow on, along with me, let's go ahead and read the text first. Uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. We're going to delve into some of the details, encouraging you. We are blessed and privileged. But I do have a question to ask you first. Who do you think the John D. Rockefeller of the Old Testament was? The spiritual most abundantly blessed. Who's the greatest person to ever have lived? I'm going to change it a little bit. Who's the greatest person ever when it comes to privilege to have lived up until the time of Jesus? Matthew 11.11 says that the greatest individual to ever have lived up until the time of Jesus, some of you know the answer, is none other than John the Baptist. The bug eater, right? The first corn husker. <laughs> the, the camel hair wearing weird dude out in the wilderness yelling at people guy. 
Matthew 11.11 says, Truly I say to you, those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So now you're ready for Bible trivia, but you're ready for something more. Why, Why would he say that? No one greater, because he goes on to say, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, talking about in the here and now with Christ coming, is greater than he. It's fascinating. All of these privileged people, all of these prophets and all of these people that God uniquely communicated to, like Isaiah, like Daniel, like Moses, like Malachi, like all of the others. All of these extraordinary kinds of experiences that people had experienced throughout all of history. And then John the Baptist? Are you kidding me? The greatest person ever born of women, which is a way to say, ever, right? And in the context of Matthew... 11.11, no doubt it's because John saw the one they were all anticipating. With his very eyes, he saw the one they were all anticipating. All of history, we call it redemptive history, everything had been leading toward that. Jesus coming, the Savior, the long-expected Deliverer, Messiah, forever reigning King. John the Baptist saw him. John the Baptist called him out. John the Baptist pointed people to him. And yet, right, Matthew 11, 11 says, when you're living on the other side of things, you're greater than John the Baptist in that you see things that even he didn't get to see. That's a great lead-in and fit-in with understanding what Peter's doing in 1 Peter. These prophets said all these amazing things, and they had all these amazing experiences. And wow, wouldn't it be awesome to be able to see what Moses saw? And wouldn't it be awesome to see what Daniel saw? Wouldn't this be truly amazing? There are these great heroes. And Peter is going to say to you and to me, you don't know how good you've got it. Those people you think are so awesome would rather be you. And in the midst of them being persecuted, these Christians in 1 Peter, that's not something that is is the first thing to come to their minds. So let's look at the details a little bit. I'm getting all excited about this. I'm going to be a preacher when I grow up. I have to preach about things. I never wanted to be a preacher, but my wife said I had to stop preaching in the house, so she told me to get a job. Now I get paid to do this. It's amazing. It's not really true. First time I ever preached a sermon, I was going to preach. It was in probably 1991 or 1992. I was so terrified to preach a sermon that we lived in a one-bedroom apartment um, and married to a teacher, you know, who's really good at teaching things. And so I went in the walk-in closet to preach the sermon with a music stand to the clothes. I figured I could get them all to repent. (laughs) Standing in the closet. And then outside of that door, I had music playing on the boombox. Plays music, kids. Um, On the boombox. And then I had the bedroom door locked. 
And then I wanted Molly to be in the kitchen, you know, with the blower on, making something. Anyway, why am I telling you this? I have no idea. Um, we do have good news to preach. And, and it's more than just facts. And so it is why I love to proclaim, right, with confidence and boldness and urgency. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, and that's where I want to be a preacher and say, concerning this salvation, because he's been talking about this salvation, this salvation, this salvation that is protected and guarded in heaven for you by Jesus, Jesus who was crucified, Jesus who was victoriously raised from the dead, guaranteeing that everyone who believes in him is guaranteed being raised from the dead. And just in case you think you might be able to lose that, guarded, protected, in heaven, waiting for you to lose it? No! Waiting, First Peter 1 says in the verses before, waiting to be revealed to you, waiting to be, sh- waiting to be shown, but it is there. And so regardless of what happens in your here and now life, it is guarded, protected, waiting, sure, for you, he says. Okay, so now concerning this salvation, okay, concerning that salvation, so it's a great salvation, it's an extraordinary salvation, so he says, now concerning this salvation, the salvation we learned about in the verses before, the prophets, Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So let's name some prophets who would have done this. Well, we could be here a long time, but, but Moses is considered a prophet. Think about his extraordinary experiences. I already named Daniel. I like him. He had extraordinary experiences. And we could talk about Elijah and Elisha, and we could talk about who your favorite prophets are. Uh, my favorite Italian prophet, Malachi. Uh, he's, he's a good one. Uh, Malachi. But, but the prophets saw things. They heard things from God. He would give them a special message and then they would proclaim it to the people. Okay, they weren't, it wasn't the norm to be a prophet. It was extraordinary to help the ordinary people of God like us. But they, what do we see here? They are the ones that we would tend to think are the prized, privileged ones because their experiences were extraordinary. And Peter has taken us by the hand and saying, look, you know what they were doing? Back, back to what he says, using pretty significant words. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They, 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 were, they were studying their own prophecies. And we're going to see because they, they didn't totally get it. John the Baptist was the greatest because he totally got it more than everybody else totally got it. But then if you're on the other side of things, you totally get it more than he gets it. But, the, but they're the unique special ones. But what were they doing? Waiting to be made characters on a flannel graph so that we could practically worship them? It's no wonder you have a hard time in life. No! 
If anything, ultimately, they were doing what they were doing regarding the grace that you were going to experience because they were pointing to Christ and they didn't understand it. Not that it was a total riddle book, but they didn't understand the pieces. They didn't understand how it worked. They didn't understand the times. And again, this is in a bigger context, trying to encourage you in your walk in life, if it's a good one, having a great time or having a terrible time. We've got to remember how good we've got it. They, 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 they would have done just about anything to trade places with you, is what he's getting at, meant to encourage us. Searching, inquiring with diligence, with care for grace that was to be ours. So if I ask you the question, who's in the more enviable position? It's actually us. But that's counterintuitive. I mean, think, think about this. First century Christian, you, you, you lose everything, potentially. remember the good old days back when I read the Old Testament. They could go to the temple and that's the time. Passover, family reunions, right? And it was amazing. You could hear the singing and participate. And there were the priests, all oh, the priests, right? And all their priestly garb and, and all of the holy hardware. And, and we, we might be thinking it was awesome. The great temple made by Solomon, the, the great temple that was reconstructed. Oh, and all of the things, and it was amazing, and I long for that kind of experience. After all, I'm a visual learner, right? And the smells and the, the incense and the, and the meats, right? It was amazing. Now we don't have anything. We're the ones who believe in a crucified Messiah who's not here. And he's saying, actually, those prophets who had those experiences were actually writing and anticipating something that was of greater substance. That's why we talk about those were the types and shadows. This is the substance and it belongs to Christ. And now I'm kind of getting into Hebrews in my mind. Which is more real? Actually, the more real is now. Even though we've not experienced it in the here and now yet. It's kept in heaven for us. I don't know how to best illustrate this, and I don't want to overstate it, but I'm going to try to teach my kids to be brave even when it's not easy to be brave. And that's what our Sunday school teachers do, and that's what grandparents do. And we, we say, we teach them to dare to be a Daniel. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not throwing, throwing that out. Daniel trusted in God's sovereignty, that God is in control, so he wasn't going to compromise. And that is for our benefit, even from the Apostle Paul's mouth. But if Daniel could be time-warped, time-traveled, to now or be where he was? He'd rather be now. And I don't tend to think that way. 
And you probably don't tend to think that way. They were anticipating the best, the greatest, the ultimate. Daniel wanted to know more about the Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, that we can tell our boys and girls in class about. It's counterintuitive. Okay, lots more to say, lots more to think about. Here's what I wrote down. We tell kids to dare to be like Daniel. We forget that Daniel would have preferred to be like us. That sounds better than the other stuff I was saying. But okay, let's move on to verse 11. Inquiring, so they're inquiring what person or time. Not a riddle book, but they want to know the details and what this is going to look like and how this is going to play itself out because they don't have it all put together yet. The Spirit of Christ in them. So the Spirit of Christ is in them. The Spirit of Messiah, it's just an Old Testament word, the promised, long-awaited, anointed, ultimate king. David, remember, was a Messiah. David was a Christ. But we're waiting for the ultimate, forever ruling, reigning Christ. Same word for Messiah. In them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There's a lot going on there. How about this? I, I mean, true or false? The Old Testament is a Christian book. What's so interesting is. Old Testament prophets being talked about, and it says the spirit of Messiah, the spirit of Christ was in them, prophesying regarding the coming of Christ, the coming of Messiah. Yeah. In anticipation, it certainly was. And not only that, let's just think in terms of uh, uh, supernaturally what's going on here. There's, there's a plan, there's a process, there's, a, there's an unfolding. If the spirit of Christ was in them, leading, guiding, I'm paraphrasing all along anticipating the coming of Christ. Pretty cool. Might make you want to read your Old Testament a little bit differently. Oh, because by the way, you are actually standing in the privileged position that they weren't in. The the puzzle's easier for you to put together. Makes me just want to go, go read and think. But do notice that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the predicted, uh, he predicted the sufferings of Messiah, Christ, and the subsequent glories. Sufferings, uh, Hebrew says uh, he, he, he suffered his whole life. He learned obedience through suffering. So his whole life is a life of suffering. It's punctuated. It reaches its climax at the cross. Ultimate suffering there, giving himself as a substitute. And then what? Glories? That's, that's synonymous, same word used for resurrection. It's talking about the gospel. The Spirit of Christ was leading them to talk about that. Maybe through types, through shadows. I mean, it looks a lot different in Genesis 3 than it does in Isaiah 53. We call it progressive revelation. There's more and more that's unpacked and unfolded. But that's what they were writing about. It's exciting. It's also exciting and important because 
Think of it in these terms. Especially, first of all, let's start with, I'm a first century Christian. And I'm exiled. Not in the promised land. Persecuted. Not to mention the other problems I have in life. And my Messiah, King, forever ruling, reigning, Savior, is nowhere to be seen. And he was crucified. But Peter's helping us to understand he was crucified, suffering. But also they wrote of his subsequent glories. And what we've already learned in First Peter, and we'll keep learning in First Peter, that he did what he did in his suffering, his atoning sacrifice for those who would believe in him so we could have atonement. And he also was raised on behalf of those who would believe in him so that we would be raised and we would have glorified bodies also. The forever protected, guarded inheritance protected in heaven by him. So when he speaks of the prophet's talking about that stuff regarding Jesus, do know that he also said it was the grace that we were going to receive. See, the grace that we receive from God that was the Old, Te- Old Testament's ultimate pointing to was his work for us. So these are the enviable days. Grave is empty, but Jesus is in heaven protecting what we will receive in his return. See, we're, we're kind of living in the aha moment on this side of things. They were waiting for the aha moment. We're living in the aha moment. And in one sense, it still doesn't help you to balance your checking account. I, got, I get it. And when the creditors call or when the bad phone calls come or texts or you name it. And Peter's not suggesting that the things we experience aren't real. Peter's not a Christian scientist, right? Sickness is fake, suffering is fake, death is fake. Peter's not a Christian scientist. He's suffering and he understands their suffering. He even talks about it. But he talks about, and by the way, Christian science, right? It's like grape nuts, John MacArthur says. It's neither neither grapes nor nuts, okay? Christian science is not Christian and it's not science. Um, It's made up. supposed to be funny. Some of you kind of laugh. <laughs> Nobody knows what grape nuts is, maybe, right? Everyone who's ever eaten grape nuts in their life eventually dies, so never mind. I'll keep going, I promise. He's not saying suffering isn't real. Jesus wept over people who were suffering and cared for them. I'm not suggesting to you that you should just move on with life and everything is going to be fine. What you're experiencing isn't real. But I am suggesting to you that Peter wants us to know that what is more real is what will be revealed. And as sure as Jesus ascended before eyewitnesses and saw him really leaving, he promised to really come back. And the Old Testament prophets have been waiting, talking about this work that he would come and do at his first coming as well as his second.
I, I don't know of better advice to give people as a pastor. I don't know of better advice you can give to people who are facing stuff. That's kind of an inclusive good word. You go through the hardship, you love, you care, you pray, you cry, you do what needs to be done because it's good to share those things. But this is not the new Jerusalem, but there is a new Jerusalem. How do we know? There's been a lot of false teachers. There's been a lot of teachers who say they tell the truth. But there's only been one who's been crucified by crucifixion experts and has lived to tell about it when he's been raised from the dead as the prophets had prophesied. And there had been a long history of prophets pointing toward this as happening. Christianity, by the way, is not the New Testament religion. Spirit of Christ, part of the plan. This is how it was supposed to be. This is how it was going to be. And that's part of Peter's argument. Okay. Controversial statement? Let's take a vote. You want me to make a controversial statement or not make a controversial Okay, we're going to split the church. Here we go. There is debate about how we should read the Old Testament. And I'm not going to solve the debate. And we don't need to split the church over it. Is it okay to read the Old Testament in light of the New, is the controversial question. Or, is the only way to be faithful at reading the Old Testament is to pretend like we don't know anything about the New Testament. And books and books and books and books and books are written about this. I'm going to suggest to you that Peter doesn't want us to live ignoring New Testament realities as we think about Old Testament history. This is what I'm going to suggest to you. A writer I like a lot named Dennis Johnson says this, For this very reason, because the apostles realized that even the prophets themselves could not in their own time and place plumb the depth of the promises that the Spirit of Christ spoke through them, the apostles refused to leave their listeners and readers in the condition of Israel in the time of Moses, David, and Isaiah. I would tend to agree with that. I try so hard to read the Old Testament and understand it in its context and what was intended by Isaiah and what was he thinking. But Isaiah didn't even have the puzzle pieces all lined up. but they definitely got lined up when Jesus came. So I have the Spirit of Christ like they had the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Messiah. Yeah. I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the Old Testament in a Christ-centered way because the author of the Old Testament books was inspired by the Spirit of Christ. I think he might think it's a good idea to read it that way. I think he might. If you have a different view, go to Mike Holloway's class on Judges. Uh, starts next week.
And I'll bet he talks about Jesus when he teaches the Old Testament. In fact, I know he will. I know he will. And judges will make more sense. Let's keep going. Controversy over. Only a couple people got up and left. This is amazing. How about verse 12? It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving Christians. Amazing. They were serving you, Christians, living on the other side of things, in the things that, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Privilege, privilege, privilege. That... Daniel was writing, if we're going to use him as an Old Testament prophet, and and somehow to benefit you, and isn't it interesting, to benefit you who heard the preaching of the gospel. So somehow his writing was going to affect the way you would hear the gospel. Because what he was saying is not in contradiction, it's actually what leads to in anticipation and the fulfillment of. I find that super fascinating. Super fascinating. inquiring what person or time, verse 11, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating? Amazing. Now, we're going to end on a bonus. I'm going to call this a bonus. I think that's the gist of the argument. That's what he's trying to say. The prophets were there for you. They, were, they, were, they, they would trade places with you if you could trade places. Or excuse me, they would want to be in your place. And then the bonus comes? I think it's a bonus. Verse 12, things into which angels long to look. I think it's like the total mic drop. Oh, if I could just experience what Daniel experienced, if I could just have an experiencing God moment like Moses, it would be so amazing if I could be in the extraordinary position. And he's saying, no, you're in the extraordinary position. You understand the pieces and how they fit together. Oh, and by the way, the things you're talking about, gospel things, forgiveness, resurrection, crucifixion, these are things into which angels long to look. They can't figure it out. They study it. They study redemption. They study forgiveness. They they don't experience it. This doesn't happen in the angelic realm. This puzzles them. This baffles them. This, This bewilders them. The angels are like, Pat Abendroth forgiven of his sins? Are you kidding me? The human race led by Adam in opposing God, playing God, and God doesn't just wipe them out in an instant through us angels, by the way? Say what? These are things into which angels just study and try to figure out. It's not that it's illogical because you have the eternal Son becoming a human being, one of us, and living a perfect sinless life, dying a sinner's death and then being raised from the dead, satisfying all the obligations. It's not that it doesn't make sense logically, but that God would show grace. Grace that no angel has experienced is baffling. And what do we do? We want to be touched by an angel, 
right? We want to try to figure out what angels are like. And we have paintings on our walls, angels. You can go spend a lot of money at the Christian bookstore on, on you know, some type of tapestry, um, all this stuff. We want to be like angels. We want to talk about getting our wings. Fascinated with angels. Your salvation is something that angels are fascinated with. If they shopped at the Christian bookstore, they would buy pictures of you. Right? If angels had houses, they would just be decorated with pictures of sinners. Like, what in the world? This is fascinating. Now, that's going to lead to them worshiping the one true living God, our Savior, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But what you've experienced... You just don't know how good you've got it spiritually. What you've experienced eternally baffles Michael the archangel, we could say. And so we should say, God, I don't like my situation. I don't like what I'm going through. This is real suffering. We can even be like the psalmist. God, how long? Help me. I don't like this. Real pain. But I know what I know about what I know. And what I have in the resurrected, ascended, returning Christ who's protecting my eternal inheritance in heaven now, ready to be revealed. Is better than angelic. Better than the unique experiences of the most unique of all the prophets. I can live another day. God, help me to remember. Shall we pray? All right. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we learned something today about how great a salvation that we have. And I know that I will forget and lose sight of most of this in a matter of moments. So please continue to use the Holy Spirit, continue to use your word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, continue to use other Christians in our lives, continue to use uh, this church to, to be a refreshing reminder of what sustains people, the hope of eternal life in Christ, the hope of resurrection, the hope of glorification. Thank you so much for your kindness and your grace that you show to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.